All right, you Sesame Street, Sesame Street fans. Who can remember the song, One of These Things is Not Like the Other? Yes? Can you all, yeah, you remember that one? Yes? So you've all now got it going around in your heads, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. All right, which one doesn't belong? Which, I oh, no, no, not this one, okay? Not this slide, all right? Okay, actually it doesn't belong in that one because the rest is blue, okay? The one that doesn't is purple. All right, so which one doesn't belong? The cat, that's right. The cat masquerading as a raccoon. All right, here's an easy one for you. Which one doesn't belong? Hey, you reckon? The yellow one, that's right. Okay, now we get a little bit tougher, okay? All right, which one doesn't belong? Oh, really? You got that that quickly? All right, okay, for those uninitiated here in the audience tonight, okay, why is Superman the odd one out? Because he's not Marvel, he's DC, that's right, exactly. Okay, he's not a Marvel character, DC Comics, I'm afraid. Okay, this one, oh, there he is, okay, there he is. Yes, for all you ladies who like the, uh, yep, okay. All right, what about this one? Here's a tougher one. Boy, you're good at this. Hey, the cherry ripe. That's right. Okay, so why is the cherry ripe the odd one out here in this picture? Sorry? Because it's Cadbury, not Mars. Very good. That's right. It's the only one that doesn't appear in the... Or the other three, I should say, apart from Cherry Ripe, they are all in the Celebrations chocolate box. Okay? The other one, all the, the Cherry Ripe, is the only one that appears in the Favourites chocolate box. Okay? Which is really my favourite. Hint, hint. Okay? Seeing as Christmas is coming up. All right. Okay. So, you're really, really good at that. Excellent. Well, we've been looking at some Bible characters lately, haven't we? All right? In our Unlikely Heroes series. There he is. We've looked at who? who? Who can name them? We had the first one was... Gideon. Okay. And then we had Rahab. And then we had Esther. And then Jonathan, who was a friend of David. Okay. All right, so we've had those four, and we come to our fifth one tonight. All of these characters, okay, were Old Testament ones. So tonight's Bible character, in some ways, is a bit like the odd one out because he's the New Testament Bible character, okay, in John the Baptist. That's who we're going to be looking at tonight. However, that's not the only reason that John the Baptist seems the odd one out in our series because next week we're also going to be looking at, uh, at Mary, who was the uh, chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus. But another reason is because John the Baptist is singled out as special by God even before he was born. If you go into Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, you read through from verses 5 through to 17, you see that, uh, that actually God had actually singled out John before he was even born to be his person, to, be a very, to have a very special role in God's unfolding plan of salvation. Now, you might ask, well, why is he included in the unlikely hero series? Surely if he was chosen by God before he was born, he would be you know, very much a likely hero. Well, tonight I want to say he's probably not necessarily an unlikely hero, but more of an unusual hero in that he is, uh, the reason why I say that is because he was used by God in a very unusual or unlikely way. Okay, so that kind of sets the scene a bit. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to catch up really, I'm going to follow Mr. Greg's footsteps from the other week, and we're going to catch up on the story of John the Baptist really, really quickly on a video. Okay, so you can watch the, uh, the screens beside me. Thanks, Mark.
God's story, John the Baptist. So part of God's story is about a man we call John the Baptist, and it begins like this. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, a man named Isaiah wrote that somebody would come to prepare people for Jesus' arrival. He was talking about a guy named John the Baptist. Well, actually, his name was John. We call him the Baptist because he baptized a lot of people. Anyway, before John was even born, an angel appeared to his dad and said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your wife Elizabeth will have a child. It will be a boy, and you must name him John. He will be important in the Lord's eyes. John was important because he would get people ready for Jesus, who was coming to rescue us. Did we mention that John was Jesus' cousin? Pretty crazy, huh? Well, right from the beginning, John was a bit unusual. For starters, he spent the first part of his life in the wilderness. Maybe he slept on the ground and used rocks for pillows. Maybe he brushed his teeth with sticks. Maybe he used leaves as toilet paper. We don't know. All the Bible tells us is that he stayed in the desert until he started telling people about Jesus. Then, when he came back into civilization, he still seemed strange. He wore clothes made out of camel's hair and a leather belt. Imagine how itchy hairy clothes must have been. And for food, he ate locusts dipped in honey, just like he had eaten in the desert. You know what a locust is? It's a grasshopper. But don't worry, you don't have to eat bugs to follow Jesus. Any- Isn't that good? You don't have to eat bugs to follow Jesus. Hey? Yes. All right. Well, it's interesting, you know, when John appeared on the scene in, in, the first century of Is- in the first century Israel, people got really, really excited because they thought that God was actually just about ready to set up his, his eternal kingdom. And they were very excited about that because that, that stage they were ruled by uh, the Roman, uh, the Roman uh, army who were very much um, evil oppressors of the, uh, the Jewish people. And they thought that, you know, with God coming on the scene, you know, John was going to be the one who was, who was going to, you know, announce that, that uh, all these evil rulers would be done away with, that uh, God's kingdom be set up, there would be peace, there would be prosperity, there would be happiness, and uh, everyone would live happily ever after kind of a thing. I mean, there hadn't been a prophet in Israel for over 400 years. So for the people of Israel, God had been silent for that time. You can imagine God being silent for, uh, for that amount of time. It was incredible that, uh, that, uh, that now John had appeared on the scene at these people's you know, time in history. They were so excited about, uh, about John coming, uh, coming on the scene. In Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, we read these words. And it says that in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness and he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. 
This was, uh, this was what the people were expecting. This uh, prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40 was immediately coming to people's minds as they heard John proclaiming in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see that in Matthew chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 that that was John's primary message. So John was coming and his purpose of his coming was to get people ready to get people ready for God's saviour, his Messiah, to come on the scene. And so what we see in this is probably our first important lesson tonight. And we're going to, have, we're going to look at three important points tonight, okay, about, uh, about John the Baptist's life and how, we can, uh, how it translates across to our, uh, our situation tonight. And the first is this, that, that John, John the Baptist spoke boldly and openly about God and his kingdom. See, John took a clear stand for God. As uh, Nicola has tonight here in this pulpit, she's taken a clear stand for God, declaring her faith and her trust in him, her belief in him, and her desire to want to follow him wholeheartedly. And, and John, there as he proclaimed this message, repent for the kingdom of God at hand, was, was standing up in front of all of Israel and, and, and making this bold and confident and open statement about the fact that he loved God and, uh, and, and wanted to see the people follow God as well. It's not easy these days to profess to be a follower of Christ, is it? Not easy at all in our world today. In fact, uh, it's, 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 it's hard just to sort of say you're a Christian, let alone actually then start to sort of proclaim what God's word teaches. When we start sort of telling people about what God's word says about our world and about sin and about things like that, it can be really difficult. And, uh, and we, can, you know, we can find that we ourselves can come under a lot of uh, criticism and ridicule. And for John, you know, that, was, that was his um, you know, situation as well. Being there in Israel in his day as he got up to preach about God, there were some that were coming to him, but there were others who very much were opposed to him and to his message. But to, do, to stand up for God certainly often invites criticism and ridicule. I mean, when we look at our own situation today, many people t- today believe that the Bible is irrelevant, that to have faith in God is foolish. You know, to call what society holds up as being normal and good, as being evil and sinful, only results in us, in, in, you know, receiving this barrage of, of hostility and criticism and name calling that comes towards us. I was talking to a fellow this morning, actually in the uh, the foyer, and you know one of uh, uh, he was you know one of his um, you know c- concerns today was saying you know when we stand up and actually proclaim Jesus, it's this this criticism that comes towards us. He says you know I know that Jesus says we want to uh, you know that we should love others you know amidst all this, but he says I want to get up and I want to fight. You know that's the kind of thing that goes on the wrestle that we have in us, isn't it? It was no different in John's day. John, we're told, confronted the religious leaders of his day with their hypocrisy. We find that in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 and 10. I'm not going to go into this tonight, but uh, you know, when John came preaching this message, he said to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, he called them a brood of vipers, you know, <laughs> a lot of snakes, that sort of thing. That's how to win friends and influence people, isn't it? Hey? Yes. The king of his day, King Herod, who we read about just a minute ago, he actually called him out with regards to his adultery. 
Okay. In fact, uh, you know, King Herod had taken his brother's wife as his own wife and was living a, a really evil and, and sinful kind of uh, life and, and he was a very wicked and evil king and, and John was proclaiming a message against the king too. This person who had all this power and authority there in, in John's day. And, but he, John was not afraid to stand up and call sin for what it was. It was really to, uh, to, to challenge the, the leaders and the authorities in his day as well. But not only that, he also called the people of his day to, uh, you know, to, uh, to living a, a righteous and an upright life. You know, it's, uh, we see that in Luke chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. And uh, there's some wonderful uh, you know, words there where John says, you know, look, if, you, you know, if your brother has, doesn't have a tunic, then make, you know, give him your tunic. In those, a tunic, by the way, is an outer kind of garment, and that sort of thing, kind of like a bit of a coat and that sort of thing today. You know, and he tells the tax collectors, you know, like he says, you know, don't try to cheat people out of the money, but, but conduct fair business transactions and things like that. He gives all of this sound, practical advice as to what it means to live upright and holy lives. See, John took his witness for, for God incredibly seriously. His faith wasn't just some kind of add-on to his everyday life. His faith defined everything about who he was. His faith and trust in God defined everything about his whole life. Everything about his life came under the authority and the influence of God. I think for us today, that's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? For, for us in our lives today, for everything about our lives to come under God's you know, authority and his influence can be a bit hard. We like to sometimes pigeonhole areas of our lives. and you know, that's, that's going to be our little part of life over here and we'll live that apart from what God says. But God says, no, I want everything to come under. And so John's life is an example to us of the seriousness with which we are to approach the Christian life as well. Okay, We ought to take our faith and ministry as seriously as John took his. We pattern our lives after John's ministry by first examining ourselves in this way, that to see whether or not we are first truly in the faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 says, you know, says for us to actually look at our lives to see if we truly are in the faith, if we truly have a real and genuine authentic faith in Jesus Christ. And there are some you know, passages in the scripture which, which speaks about that. You've only got to look at the, uh, the letter of James towards the end of the New Testament. speaks about faith and works and that, that, that our works are a, a, an evidence, if you like, of our genuine faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle John writes in, in 1 John, his first letter, you know, a number of different tests that we can actually look at applying to, and apply to our lives to see whether or not we are truly in the faith. And we need to, we need to ask ourselves these things. Because as we, uh, you know, as we came to the end of that uh, reading in chap- John chapter 3 tonight, it says this. It says, For whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, who has ever you know, given their lives properly to him has eternal life. But whoever, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So we need to you know, ask ourselves first and foremost, are we truly in the faith? Is our faith secure in Jesus Christ that we can confidently say that we indeed have eternal life in his name? Secondly, we also need to, uh, to have this kind of attitude, the same kind of attitude as John and the Apostle Paul. When the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 1.21 that our attitude is to be this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
In other words, we live, we live our whole lives for Jesus Christ. And that is our joy, that is our privilege, that is, you know, that, that's what gives us our purpose and meaning in life. But if, even if it was to cost us our life, then that in itself is gain because we will be forever with Christ in heaven. We live, you know, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was Paul's motto. That was John's motto here in, you know, John the Baptist. He was not afraid to, uh, to serve Jesus. And if it meant him dying, which ultimately it did, then he was prepared to do that. I wonder if it's the same for us tonight. Are we prepared to indeed lay down our lives, ready to lay down our lives for Jesus Christ? Do we see living for him as the most important thing? Of course, if we live like this, then we indeed can be fearless in the face of persecution and death. You know, John lived his life to introduce others to Jesus Christ and he knew the importance of repenting of one's sins in order to live that holy and righteous life. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, he was also unafraid of calling people out, such as Herod and the Pharisees, for their sinful behaviour. We need to be unafraid to call sin for what it is. Of course, as we do that, we do that you know, in a, uh, in a, in a loving way, but we must also do it in a truthful way. You know, it's not about, you know, looking to, uh, to be just judgmental about other people, but to see the damage and the destruction that sin causes in people's lives. And then to, uh, you know, to draw alongside them and say, you know what, there's a better way. There's a better way. This is, this, this kind of behavior, this kind of attitude, this kind of motivation, it, uh, it's only going to lead to destruction in your life. It's only going to lead to, to emptiness and unhappiness. We need to call sin for what it is. Of course, calling out people such as uh, you know the uh, people around about us, and whether it be authorities and things like that, means that you know we can expect that we will receive criticism and persecution. In fact, we're told in the New Testament that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone, everyone. Did you get that? Everyone. <laughs> mm. Jesus told his disciples that they should expect opposition in the world. John chapter 16 and verse 33. But then Jesus also finished with these words where he says, But take heart or take courage because I have overcome the world. So even, the world, even though the world may see you as its enemy, even though the world may see you as, uh, as you know, an anomaly or something like that standing out today for Christ. And even though we can accept, you know, we, we receive, um, you know, criticism and ridicule and, and sometimes even, you know, harsh persecution for following Jesus, Jesus can say to us, take heart because I have overcome the world. This suffering you experience now is only for a short time. But one day you will be with me forever and ever and ever. Mm. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but we are to take heart because Christ has overcome the world. Secondly, our purpose then, like John's, is to point people to Jesus, the Saviour. It's interesting that during his ministry, John the Baptist gained a lot of followers, an incredible amount of followers, in fact, and some believe that, that John was the Messiah. And we see that in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 15, and John chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. If you just flip over again just to, uh, to John chapter 1 for a minute. In verse 19 it says, And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, 
but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. It's interesting that Elijah should come to their minds because he was John the Baptist, you know, baptizing out there in the wilderness. He's a bit of a wild man, camel hair, eating, you know, locusts dipped in honey, all that sort of stuff. And the, the kind of image that came to people's minds was the image of the prophet Elijah, you know, from back in Israel's history, because that was the kind of person that Elijah was and the kind of ministry he carried out there in the wilderness and proclaiming God's, you know, God's word to, uh, particularly to, you know, the authorities in his day, particularly King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. You see, they, that people thought that, that John may have himself been the Messiah, but if he wasn't the Messiah, he might have been, you know, this prophet Elijah, who they knew would, would have to come first in God's plan of salvation before the Messiah came. We see that, uh, that you know, many people were following John. But we're also told that, uh, that John did not seek to hold on to these people, nor his disciples as well. John himself had disciples. We said a little bit later in John chapter 1 as well. John didn't seek to hold on to his disciples, but he urged them to switch their devotion to Jesus Christ. And he did the same with the crowds as well. Interesting, in writing his gospel, the Apostle John says that to John the Baptist's purpose in coming was to bear witness to the light. We read that in John chapter 1 tonight, verses 6 to 8. It said, he says that he was not the light, the light that was coming into the world, the light of God, but he came to tell people about the true light. Look again at John chapter 1 and verse 7. It says that John, he came as a witness to he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John's whole purpose was to point people to Jesus Christ, to, to proclaim him as the Messiah and say, you know what, that's the guy you need to believe in, not me. Don't put your faith and your allegiance and your devotion in me, but that's the fellow you need to follow. That's the fellow you need to trust in. In fact, when, when Jesus first appears on the scene, John actually points him out and he says, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was John's testimony towards Jesus Christ. His mission was to witness to the light. And therefore, we, our purpose is to point people to Jesus because believing comes often through a witness. John came to be a bear witness to the light and believing comes through a witness. John says, you know, he was there to that people might believe through him. And we are here today as God's representatives pointing people to Jesus that we might encourage and might help people to know Jesus and themselves believe in him and put their faith and trust in him as saviour. When it comes to people believing in Jesus Christ, people need witnesses. People need to hear the message of the gospel proclaimed. And the Apostle Paul writing in Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our message is Jesus Christ and his word and, and, John, and God can use that, use our witness to Jesus Christ to bring others to faith in him. No, we are not the light ourselves, but instead we are reflectors of the light of Jesus. And as God works in our lives through his Holy Spirit, transforming us and changing us, and as we cooperate with him, 
as we're obedient to him and as we love him, as we lay down our lives for him, then we shine the light of Jesus into our dark world today. That's the light that we are to bring. Of course, some will come to the light, but others will instead prefer the darkness. That is the reality that we can expect. But our job is to bear witness like in a courtroom, to tell what we know and what we have seen. John chapter 1, 29 to 34, John says that, uh, they know that, he, that he himself testifies to that which he has seen. You know, he says, you know, behold the Lamb of God. He says, you know, the only reason I knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God because as I was baptizing him, I was told that when I baptized the Messiah, that the, Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would come upon him like a dove. And that's exactly what John saw when he baptized Jesus. And he said, this is what I've seen, and now this is what I proclaim. This man, I have confidence, utmost confidence, that he is indeed the Son of God. We need to tell what we know and what we have seen. And that's what we've heard Nicola tonight. You know, she's, she's been able to proclaim to us what she knows and what she has seen of the work of Jesus Christ in her life. The changes that he has made in her. And we've all got that story to tell. If we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we all have got that story to tell of how Jesus has changed our lives, haven't we? Of how he has worked in our lives, how he is transforming our lives bit by bit. And yes, we don't always get it right, but because Jesus is saving, he's forgiven our sins, we can boldly and confidently know that, uh, that he will never for, you know, forsake us or, or write us off, but we will, he will always keep us as his treasured possession. That's the kind of message that we, the people need to hear today. That's the message that we're called to proclaim. And yes, it's up to people to make up their own minds. Of course, we show our witness through, uh, through word of mouth, through, by, by proclaiming the message of the gospel. Pastor Greg did that tonight very clearly here in just a, you know, just a, a few short words of what the message of the gospel was. That we are all alienated by God because of, from God because of our sin that we all stand condemned under his judgment. And yet because Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died on the cross as payment for our sins and he rose again as God's declaration that, 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 that his, his payment for sin was enough, that as we put our faith and trust in him as our saviour, we can, we can receive forgiveness in his name and eternal life through him. That's it. It's as simple as that. By proclaiming the gospel, word of mouth, and of course by putting our faith into action whether it be through baptism or whether it be through you know, the way in which we love others, the way in which we live holy lives, you know, pleasing and acceptable to Jesus Christ. That's how we show our witness today in our world. Our final point tonight is this, that just as it was with John the Baptist, it needs to be the same. It's not about us. That as we live our lives today, it's not about us. It's not about us building our own kingdoms and feathering our own nests and things like that. But it's our lives are here to be lived first and foremost for Jesus Christ. See, John the Baptist, he wasn't interested in popularity. He wasn't interested in getting people to admire and follow him. But his sole purpose was to exalt Jesus Christ. John made it clear to everyone that he considered himself even unworthy to untie the sandals on Jesus' feet. That, that uh, um, task, by the way, was reserved for the lowest of the low slaves in a household. When a person came to the, to the house for a, for a visit, uh, you know, this, the, the lowest of the slaves, it was his job to go and actually untie the, uh, the sandals and to take the sandals off people's feet and to wash their feet. 
because it was pretty dusty in those days, and they were pretty smelly and dirty and dirty feet. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a show of hospitality. But John says, you know, I am so unworthy when it comes to Jesus that I'm not even worthy to untie his, his, the sandals, the, you know, his, the laces on his sandals. We see in our passage tonight in John chapter 3 that, uh, that John's ministry actually overlapped with the early ministry of Jesus. When some of John's disciples came and complained to him that Jesus and his disciples were gaining converts... John made it very plain to them that this was how it should be. In fact, John was delighted that people were going to Jesus Christ. In fact, John goes on to say that it is not for him to receive the glory and attention because Jesus is the bridegroom. John is just the friend of the bridegroom. John is just the friend. It's like the best man at a wedding. You know, the focus isn't on the best man or the bridesmaids, as lovely as they might be, but it's on the bridegroom and the bride, isn't it? And that's what it needs to be for us, that our, we need to be drawing attention to Jesus Christ. John said that Jesus must become greater and I must become less. Interesting, in writing about this, John Piper says this, he says, We must make much of Jesus, we must not make much of ourselves. But Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So he who plants and he who waters are not anything, but only God who gives the growth. And again, he says, what we proclaim in in 2 Corinthians, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. See, our lives are about exalting Jesus, making him look good. We must not be seeking the glory for ourselves. Later on, Jesus says to his disciples that no, no human being who ever lived was greater than John the Baptist. But what he also says, he goes on to say, is that even the least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than John. In Matthew eleven eleven. See, John may have been despised by those of significance in his day, he may have gone down in the estimation of some people when, it, when he appeared to, uh, to doubt Jesus' identity was he's there in jail, in Herod's jail, that, uh, that uh, you know, he sent his disciples to, to Jesus to just to, to dub, make double sure that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. You know, he might have gone down in some people's estimate, estimation there because he appeared to doubt. But John was great in the estimation of the one who mattered, and that was God. And I wonder for us today, when it comes to, you know, sort of standing out and, and whose, you know, whose um, accolades and that sort of thing we really seek after, are they first and foremost God's, the one who really matters? Or is it, or is it about other people? John was great in the estimation of the one who mattered, that was God. How can we gain God's favour? Well, as we saw this morning or heard this morning, not by thinking that we can earn it. We earn God's favour by recognising Jesus for who he really is. The Son of God, God in the flesh. We earn God's favour by repenting of our sin and seeking his forgiveness. And then by living wholeheartedly for him. That was John the Baptist's example. And that's what makes him an unlikely hero in the eyes of our world today. And, you know, when it comes to us, we might not have the kind of ministry that John had, 
you know, one that brings about a lot of notoriety and things like that. But in following his example, in following John the Baptist's example and faithfully and humbly pointing people to Jesus, we can receive our master's praise too. We can receive Jesus' praise too. And what greater privilege than we, that can we have than to serve Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and help, help people in him discover eternal life? Hey? What greater privilege could we have? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life of John the Baptist and uh, the fact that it has been recorded in your scriptures for us and the, uh, the example that he is for us today as true followers of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us indeed to, uh, to you know, boldly and proclaim, you know, boldly and confidently proclaim Jesus, to live wholeheartedly for him. That we would indeed just you know, seek to, uh, to proclaim the message of the gospel, to proclaim Jesus Christ and to exalt him, remembering that it is not about us, but all about him. We pray this in his name. Amen.